0: In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Togi Entertainment or
1: its partners.
2: It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Padgett on Toginet. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships, sans the sleaze factor, while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. And now, here's your host, Lou Paget.
1: Welcome, everyone, and thank you for being with me this evening and my guest, whom I will just introduce in one moment. Tonight, what we are going to do is we have a gentleman who has a very broad background with three different areas and three, you know, mainly two specialties that to me are very timely, that they are discussed, and that it's something that... I know he comes from a background of psychology and then morphed into the area of, of sexual therapy. So without further ado, I would like to introduce my guest, Stephen Braveman. Stephen, are you on the line with me? I'm here. Hi, Lou. Hello. It's good to have you on. Thanks. Good to be here. Now, my first question, I'm going to ask you what people typically always ask me. So... How did you get into this?
0: That's a, a question I get an awful lot. How do I get into this? Well, I think probably as a little kid I decided the first thing I wanted to be was a sex therapist. Not. Exactly. <laughs> it, it was something that uh, fell into my lap that uh, was quite unexpected. When I was a college student, I, I found that I was working in the field of sexuality and being told I was an expert in it and that uh, I was highly qualified for jobs that I never Never thought I would even be interested in or take, and uh, turned out I was and that 's because back then, which was not when the dinosaurs roamed, there weren 't a lot of people doing sex therapy and and certainly not specializing in the areas I was specializing in. It was such a fresh new field that we were groundbreakers back then, and by accident, by force or by God or by karma or whatever thing you believe in
1: mhm now. I have to admit, my journey into you know, being a certified sex educator was the same, and it was that I actually had a comfort level speaking about the subject, and I pulled together information that people hadn't considered would be part of, you know, their, of, of someone's sexual nature. And
0: it's a comfort level that I think is the most important thing, especially when it comes to differentiating between a typical psychotherapist and a sex therapist. The number one thing that I've always taught my students is you've got to be comfortable with it. If you're comfortable with sexuality in general, then odds are you're going to make a good sex therapist. If you're not comfortable, well, we can help you, but it there's
1: a lot of work there. You, you need the comfort. No, And that's the thing. I mean, people know organically if someone is or if someone is not. Yes. Period. Absolutely. Now, and if anyone should have any questions, if you're listening to this live, the call-in number for either myself or for Stephen Braveman is 877-864-4869. Repeating again, 877-864-4869. Now... As I sent you questions before, I said, we'll start with kind of the more heavy topics for the beginning of the show. Uh-huh. When, you know, let me ask you, what was the tipping point for you, or the event, that had you start looking to work with people who had dealt with sexual abuse or
0: with rape? Well, that, again, was something that didn't really come to me as a decision. Every mm-hmm. time I decided I wasn't going to work with sexuality anymore, the universe said, oh, yes, you are, and here's what you're going to be doing. And so it really stumbled into, into my lap. I was trained as a sex therapist. I was also trained in a few other things, one being laughter therapy. I'm a certified laughter therapist. Really? And, yeah. And when I moved to... The area I currently live in, my reputation uh, followed me, and I was asked to do a guest lecture for a local rape crisis center on laughter therapy and sexual assault. And I didn't know that they secretly were checking me out and wanting to hire me. And uh, they wanted me to start a men's group, which was really incredible. This was about 20 years ago, the the Monterey County Rape Crisis Center had the foresight to realize that A men's group for guys who had been sexually abused as children was very appropriate, was called for, and timely. And they hired me to do this, and I thought, okay, I can do this, sure. And as I started uh, searching for others who had done it and uh, hoping to get some tools in the area, I quickly learned it was a brand-new field,
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: there were only about five other guys in the world who were working on this as a... so-called experts in the field. After two years, very quickly, I got the reputation of being one of the leaders, and uh, it just went from there. So what really drove me was two things. One was that comfort issue again. One that, that I could found that, oh, you know, I could do this. But another one was the incredible need. We had no idea when we started this group that it was one of the first three or four in the world of its kind. And when we made our documentary called Boyhood Shadows, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, in a minute, Uh um, that was in 2007. We had estimated that there was maybe 40 such groups now in the world. We researched just this past year Good research indicated clearly that there are only 22 viable groups like this in the world, four wow. being in California now, a couple of them in England, a couple of them in Australia, New Zealand and in Canada, which means most states in the United States still do not have such a group. And therefore out of the need arising. It really drove me to keep working on the subject, and these guys really, really need the help, and so do their partners who struggle with them through the mm-hmm. journey of healing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's it's amazing. I get asked frequently... Don't I have a lot of patience to do this work? And, you know, usually grocery clerks are asking me this as they're standing there going beep beep all day at the counter. And I'm thinking, talk about patience. Oh, boy. (laughs) But it's to each their own. And I think most of us who get into the field of human sexuality work, um, we do it like other people. We did not necessarily think that's what we're going to do. It came to us. We found we're good. There was a need, and we kept going. Completely. And the
1: other thing is, and people said, please, you've just got to keep doing it. Yes. And yes. now, if there is someone who is not in California, does not have access, where can they go?
0: Well, for anybody, even if they are in California, a really good starting point is a website called mailsurvivor.org.
3: Okay. Mail.
0: Survivor, all one word, .org. What happened was back in the 1980s when we really were starting out in this field, the late 1980s, a man named Mike Lew, L-E-W, wrote what is now the groundbreaking book called Victims No Longer, mm-hmm. and it addressed male sexuality and abuse in a way that nobody had ever done so before. Guys would read and go, oh, my God, that is me. Well, that was really good. We had two budding organizations back then and very quickly realized we're not big enough to have two competing national organizations. So we merged and Uh formed Male Survivor. In 1998, I co-led the very first national retreat for guys who have been sexually abused as children, here at the Mount Madonna Retreat Center in Watsonville, California. We brought together about 40 people. Some of them were women, too, who wanted to help out. And it started a movement which really has blossomed. Every year now we have national conferences. We have a viable website. We've got more and more books on the subject. We have annual retreats. And there's still local things, such as what I do here in Monterey, mm-hmm. uh, Guys still come from as far away as Los Angeles for our group because it is unique. We have uh, quarterly retreats, but they're only one day type of a things. We do have this national organization now. It's a wonderful resource, malesurvivor.org, and if you are a partner of a survivor, if you're, let's say, a wife of a male survivor or a girlfriend or a boyfriend, doesn't matter, go there. You'll get some resources, some tips on how to get your partner moving towards healing right away.
1: Now, I have to tell you, as someone who has been in the field of sexuality education, you know, I've I've written my books, I've been around this, I'm comfortable. This for me is like, I know nothing of how to speak to someone, how to approach someone, what you know? If someone now, I have to tell you, I do know of men who were sexually abused, and to say that it impacted their lives, I mean, it's like their head—this one person's head was like twisted on differently. Yes. I mean, it's the best way I can describe it, and the only way that this person could be sexual was when he had been when he was very very drunk. Uh huh. And person never knew what, what it was that was going on.
0: Yeah. What uh, two people, independent of each other, they they had no clue that the other person was going to be saying the same thing. In our documentary, he describes it as being stabbed in the brain. It really screws with people's lives. And the typical pattern is that most guys who have been sexually abused don't even acknowledge that they have been because Mm of the myth that if you are not violently anally raped, you can't be abused. The myth that if you had an erection, if you enjoyed it in any place, way shape or form oh then it couldn't have been abuse the myth that if you are a straight young man and or I should say specifically a boy and a female molests you oh then it couldn't have been abuse so they block it out they deny it when they finally start to realize, oh my God, this is abuse, or for those few who really realize they were abused to begin with, what this happens is when they turn 18, they usually know. realize, I'm an adult now. I don't have to deal with this. And they go through a phase
1: of denying it through drugs, alcohol. Right. Not right now. now we're going to have to take a break here because we've got our tunes coming up, and we're going to come back to that.
2: This is okay. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com.
3: Ready for the most current feel good gossip? Then check out Daytime with Donna with your host, Donna Intercasso, and sidekick Nina Fry. Every Friday afternoon at 2 1 Central on TogiNet.com. You're
2: sampling the best.
3: Donna is a charismatic, market driven entrepreneur who was part of the team that founded iVillage.com, which is the largest content driven community for women today. Donna and Nina are here to empower you, motivate you, and encourage you in all aspects of your life. It's like Oprah on the radio. Plus, your chance to win great prizes, all the way up to a $500 Visa gift card. For more on Donna Intracasso, check out her website, introink.com. Then join us for the show, Daytime with Donna, with your host, Donna Intracasso and sidekick Nina Fry. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Hey moms, get ready for Living the Dream Mom with Nina Fry. Thursday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Living the Dream Mom is about the true realities of motherhood, the beauty and the rewards of watching your children grow.
2: All these moms have something in common. They put their kids first. It's not about the kids all the time and the diapers and the bottles and the breastfeeding. It's about showcasing the mother in motherhood, real moms in the real world. you get it? Now that's what the show is about. So every week, let's get together and we'll share these great stories with you guys. And I hope by the end of the show, you'll be saying, you know what? That is my life. Nina gets it. And I can't hardly wait to see what she brings me next week.
3: Don't miss the next Living the Dream Mom. It's real moms in the real world. Thursday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Living the Dream Mom with Nina Fry on toginet.com. Welcome
2: back to Sex Talk.
1: Stephen Braveman, who is a licensed marriage family counselor and a diplomat of sex therapy, his Monterey-based practice, specializes in the area of men who were um, adults who were abused as children. And just before the break and the two of us just kept talking <laughs> we were talking you were talking, Stephen, about some of the mids, yes. that you know so if, it, if there's an erection then it's not abuse. If you enjoyed it, it was not abuse. If you weren't, you know, anally, forcibly raped, it's not abuse. If it was a woman who had
0: sex with you, it wasn't abuse. This is one that I get uh, contacted by the media an awful lot, and the call typically goes something like this Uh Hi, Mr. Braveman, I'm with radio station or television station or newspaper station, blah, blah. And uh, here in our town, we have a teenage boy who has been allegedly sexually molested by a female school teacher, and uh, the town's wondering, can it happen? What's the story? Is he really a victim? And I say, Let's stop right there. Tell me, is she blonde? Yes. Is she blue-eyed? Yes. Do all the kids think she's dropped dead gorgeous? Yes. How did you know? And I say, 'Cause it's always the same story. It's not just that blonde-haired, blue-eyed white women molest boys. Other kinds of people do, too. But this is what media makes a big deal out of. The whiter, the blonder, the bluer eyes, the prettier the woman is, the more the disbelief. Oh, it couldn't be abused. No way. The kid must have wanted it. Kid must have liked it. And so it makes the news. The reality is. If the child is under the age of consent, which in most states is 18, and there's an adult having sex with them, that's abuse. Yeah. It is, the child is not considered to be of age of consent, meaning that we feel that they don't know what they're really getting themselves into. In a case like this, what we find is that the kid usually thinks he's very lucky until it ends, and he feels very lost, confused, and when he grows up, he may think nothing of it until he has kids himself, and then he goes, oh, my God. My son or my daughter is that age when I was having this. I thought I was so big. I thought it was so great. These are just kids, mm-hmm. and they start to realize that it has screwed up their boundary issues around sexuality, right. entitlement issues, but the. Out of all the uh, different myths about male sexual victimization, the most important one that I want to address here is the most damaging. That's what we call the vampire syndrome. Ah, huh? timely for Halloween coming up. The vampire right. syndrome is where, like the victims of Count the belief is that once a boy is bitten, he will go on to bite others, meaning that if he was molested as a child, he will definitively become a child molester or pedophile Mm -hmm. and this is totally wrong the statistics show us that a teeny teeny percentage of people who are sexually molested actually go on to do it to others very very few But what happens here, one of the reasons why it's so damaging, is guys hear this myth, and they deliberately avoid having children. They deliberately avoid working with children. They deliberately avoid relationships because they're afraid somehow they're going to molest a kid. Also, let's say the guy gets wants to um, partner up with somebody and start a family. Well, everything may be fine until he mentions, oh honey, guess what? Before we get married or we make a commitment or whatever, I want to let you know that I was molested as a boy. Ah! All of a sudden, it is over. No woman wants to have a relationship, a marriage, a start a family with a guy who's been molested as a kid because they falsely believe that he's going to become a pedophile.
1: Uh Uh-huh. This I, I, we know that. Yeah, we, I mean, we hear it. Yeah. So this belief is what drove us at the Rape
0: Crisis Center to do two groundbreaking things, which eventually caught Oprah's attention. First mm-hmm. one, we made a public service announcement called You Are Not Alone. It actually is a groundbreaker just to make a commercial about this issue and address it. And it was very, very successful. It shows a little boy at a chalkboard writing about his abuse, and then it shows me at a grease board saying, you can heal, bunch of guys with me. We talk about the symptoms. People see that. Lots of times they see it when they're drunk and lonely and hurting. And mm-hmm. they see it over and over again. Eventually, they cost. But this myth about the vampire syndrome—we had a bad incident where a executive director from a women's crisis center was quoted in the newspaper saying Michael Jackson had to have been a pedophile because he was accused of molesting kids. And when we called her on it, and she held to this belief, we knew we had to go forward. So we made this documentary called "Boyhood Shadows." Came out in right. 2007, groundbreaking film. It shows 20 guys and people in their lives telling their stories about what happened, how it's affected them. We have gay, straight, black, white, Hispanic, all kinds of people in it. Some guys were molested by priests, some by their fathers, some by their uncles, some by their babysitters, and we have women talking about how it's affected them. We have a uh, gay partners talking about how it's affected them being with a man who's been abused, and it was so powerful. Oprah did two shows on it. She mm-hmm. was originally going to do it all with me and, and our cast, but instead what she decided to do was... Two episodes called 200 Men, and I didn't get to be on it, and that's okay. But 18 of the 20 guys in our documentary were there and were interviewed for it, and it was really powerful. This is really helpful because now we have a film that guys can watch and go, Oh, that is me. Or, Oh, you know what? That isn't me, thank God. Because you you certainly don't want to make victims where there aren't any.
1: Well, precisely. Now, when we were first speaking about this, and I mentioned on seeing how powerful in Oprah's final show, seeing those men walk in with the candles and the pictures of them at the age when they were abused. Uh huh. Some of the men who you had worked with were on there, correct?
0: Yes, yes. Okay. Absolutely. Matter of fact, the star of our documentary was there. He was supposed to be interviewed on stage with her but he was so angry and hurt and and he insulted her and they told him to go sit down (laughs) so we had so that had me taken out but it, it is a big big issue and um i if i can just say a couple more things about this issue is one folks believe it Boys are boys. They are children. Yes, of course they can be molested. Most molestation does not happen by a boogeyman jumping out of the bushes. It's mostly not violent. It's coercive. It's trickery. It's bribery. And, no, it is not as common as sliced cheese. However, it is very real, especially for those who have been abused. Help is becoming more and more available. And, uh, you know, even if somebody sees a therapist who is not an expert on it and talks about it, it's a stepping stone. It is helpful. People can and do heal. You don't have to be a victim all your life. Check out our website. Check out the Monterey County Rape Crisis Center. Check out my website, bravemantherapy.com, and you'll find links. You'll find articles on it. And uh, we're trying to get the documentary for free. Out there to the world, um, bit at a time
1: now if what would you uh, what would you say if you could would be the numbers of men who had been molested? Ah, boy, that's such a tough
0: question because nobody really knows for sure because a lot of people we know don't ever come forward, don't right. ever report it. And if they do, they don't report it to the FBI, who's the one who keeps records of these things. But so the it's, the, it's that, the
1: FBI not local? What's that? It's the FBI not local agencies? That's right. The FBI keeps the
0: statistics. So most, mostly... Rape crushers across the country, sexual assault units, draw draw their statistics from the FBI reports, and typically the number is one out of six boys will be molested by the time they're 18. Typically it is um around 30% of all females supposedly are sexually abused by the time they're 18. But the numbers can run as high as some people say everybody. There's no such thing. I don't believe that. I think that, yes, you know, childhood can be rough for all of us but that doesn't mean we're all abused. Um, but the, the reality is it, it's common. It may mm-hmm. not be average, meaning it may be less than 50%. However, it is a common phenomenon, and certainly we're learning more about it as we educate people. People are coming forward, and luckily they're coming forward at a younger age to, yeah. to seek help around it and to admit it. Um, mm-hmm. The average age, when I started the group 20 years ago, was about 48
3: now the really? average
0: age is about 35, Okay, means guys are really getting the message, that, and they don't have to suffer. They want to help. We even have transgendered people in our groups. We have a trans man, meaning mm-hmm. somebody born female-bodied who is now living as a man. We also have a trans woman in the group, a uh, person who was born male, molested as a male, but always knew that she was a female, and unfortunately we don't have any other place to put her, so we've made it work for her that she is the female in our men's group. And it's mm-hmm. a lot out of it.
1: Well, you know, we have probably a minute until our you know, mid-show break, but what I'd like to go over when we come back. And for anyone who may have questions or you know would like to make a comment, you can call in at 877-864-4869. Again, 877-864-4869 and I'd speak with myself, Lou Paget, or with Stephen Braveman. And what I'd like to get to when we come back from the break, Stephen, uh-huh. what are the behaviors a partner or a therapist might see or what might they overlook that could be something that is helpful to know or that can give you an awareness of, you know, maybe this is what has happened. And the person may not even have the concept of this was an abuse situation for them at the time. Yes. And now we have, we have 15 seconds until our break. Please stay with us. I'm Lou Padgett. My guest is Stephen Braveman. And we will be right back with the list of what to look for.
2: This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. With your host, Lou Paget. techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. In the healthcare industry today, most of us are left in the dark when our doctors talk to us about our health and wellness. It seems that they don't have enough time to be informative and give us the options we deserve. Are you frustrated with today's medical advice as I am?
3: Join the Medical Insider with Danny Walker and Dr. Richard Powell as they discuss the insider look at various therapies, medications, supplements, and much, much more. We will bring you the cutting-edge information regarding your health care and how you can take control of your health care decisions by not being fooled but being informed. Danny Walker and Dr. Richard Powell will be joined by experts in various fields throughout the healthcare industry, and they'll uncover the information that you should know about when it comes time to making those crucial decisions.
2: Don't be fooled. Be informed with the Medical Insider every Wednesday at 1 o'clock Eastern, 12 Central.
3: Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrod Friday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on TogiNet.com.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Before we went to the break, I had asked Stephen Braveman, who is my guest this evening, if he could please put together um, behaviors or things that someone should perhaps pay attention to, maybe see, maybe become aware of that could be something that could have you know you say you know what this might have been a situation now this is not about the witch hunt if someone has this behavior it's definitely definitive that this is what's happened but are there things that are kind of like really obvious
0: giveaways yes absolutely um first thing if Somebody, one of our listeners, has been sexually abused. You might know this one. Is that you can, if you've been sexually abused or you work a lot with it, you can almost smell it or basically smell it permeating from somebody. There is an aura to people who have been abused who have not received treatment. But what does the average person see? Well, again, as you mentioned, Lou, there is no one. Def- Definitive thing, and it's not a witch hunt, certainly not. All the symptoms can be attributed to something else uh, under other circumstances. But the number one thing that we see in uh, men and women who have been sexually abused is what we call splitting behavior that's okay. black or white, all or nothing, on or off thinking behaviors, Um, either you are wonderful or you're horrible. Either we're going to have sex all night and we're going to be just acting out sexually with no boundaries, or we're going to shut down the sexuality completely. And that sexuality shutting down completely is quite often what people Experience that brings them into our offices in the first place. So, a typical scenario for a guy who's been molested is when he meets a stranger. He can maybe be sexual with him right away, and it can be good. Well, wait <clears throat> on, how can that happen? Well, because they're not yet dealing with the trust issue, which is the, the big piece that triggers them. But when they get involved, let's say they, they after a couple of years, decide they're going to move in and start living with somebody, they make some kind of commitment, then right around the two-year mark is when it happens. And either they shut down sexually very rapidly, completely across the board, or they shut down with their partner and they continue to act out sexually in some other way. The acting out could be with a prostitute could be with affairs, it could be through excessive masturbation, but this is something that then brings the partner in and goes, "We need help. I don't understand it. I you tell me I'm the perfect one for you and yet you won't touch me anymore. What's wrong?" And you, that, you, you know the person that I'm thinking of that's exactly the scenario that they went through. Yeah. And it usually is that it's now the reason why is because they are with the perfect person. The Uh, perfect person is too hard to handle. Why? Because it brings up the trust issue. Most people were molested by somebody they should have trusted, and now they're having sex with somebody they're supposed to be trusting tremendously, and it gets too hard, too painful, and so they start shutting it down. They don't know what else to do with it. And so that's a big sign. But any kind of, if somebody is, is a workaholic, ah, that is one of the common symptoms of somebody who's been sexually abused because maybe they choose not to numb out through drugs or alcohol, but they, do, they choose to numb out through overachievement. Again, it's to the extreme behavior. Anything to the extreme, one mm-hmm. way
1: or another, those
0: are the big signs.
1: Okay. Because I know <clears throat> this person had been told they were the perfect person, uh-huh, and the person pursued them dramatically, and then, as soon as the commitment was made in marriage, then it was like it was like a switch went off, yes, and they weren't the least bit interested in sex. But apparently, that had also been the scenario in his first marriage. Uh-huh. Very common. And so, it usually takes blowing
0: out of two or three relationships before, if a guy's going to get help, before he'll come forward and get help.
1: hmm Now, is there also the thing that often happens with women with the overeating to change the body image? No,
0: that's a that's more a typical female thing. It does happen in males, however it's not that common. What, what happens with women quite often with the overeating is that they want to make it so that they're so unappealing that mm-hmm. nobody will touch them again. Well, right. a man will do this by becoming uh, SOB. He'll do it by smoking, drinking, doing drugs, so nobody will want to touch him because he's untouchable in that way. He'll just be such a loser nobody will want to touch him Um, so that it does look differently in men and women Uh, another big difference when it comes to the men and women who have been molested is that women are socialized in our society to be victims from very early on, they're taught, well, you know, women have to suffer, women have to suffer, women have to do all the housework, women have to do all this. You know, women are abused. If, if a woman says to another woman, oh, my God, I was raped or I was molested, quite often what she'll hear is, I know, honey, men are pigs, it happens to us all. And told, so you go into therapy, you're just going to be a victim all your life, and a lot of female therapists um, contribute to that problem perpetuating it it. so men though what they want is they want to get it fixed right away so maybe somebody's partner says okay honey you're right yes I was molested as a kid all right I'm 47 I guess it's time I'll go get some help So then if he winds up coming to the right place, he'll say something to us like, Hey, doctor, so um, here I am. I'm 47. happened a long time. I've been struggling with it all my life. What's it going to take, two, three weeks to get over it? They expect a quick fix. Just like, okay, we're going to fix the carburetor now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And get in there, get the job done. We're going to drop in a new
1: cranny, and then you're fine.
0: Yeah. So that's a very common the common thing, big, big difference between men and women.
1: Right. Now, you also have worked in the area of transgender, and one of the things I think you know that I am part of the Leadership Council along with Eli Coleman yes. at the University of Minnesota, and we just had the um, you know high five for us, yay, the funding for the Joycelyn Elders Chair in Sexual Health. Uh-huh. which was being held in Atlanta at the same time as the WPATH meeting, which is the former Hibigda, you know, the Harry Benjamin uh, group. And what I got from Eli was an article that is speaking of, basically saying not conforming to gender is not a disorder. And this is something he was putting forward as a comment To the media and, you know, saying, listen, this is something that people are telling these people that there's a disorder when things aren't conforming. That's not the case. I'm sure you, you know, would probably resonate with that statement. Absolutely.
0: This is a real challenge. First thing, for those who don't know the initials that Lou mentioned, what we're talking about are the international associations for those of us who treat people with what's generally called gender identity disorder or gender dysphoria, essentially somebody who does not feel like their body matches up with their gender identity, with who they really are. Um, what most people call transsexuals. And um, the big conflict here that's going on right now is there is a push in the therapeutic world to to pathologize, further pathologize right. people who have a transgender condition. So we went through this uh, 40, 50 years ago with gay lesbians um, when we realized that homosexuality, as it was called back then readily, is not a mental disorder, and it's not a life choice. It is something that somebody is, is, to the best we know, is born with. It's not something they choose, and it doesn't make them ill. Just because they're gay or lesbian does not mean they're sick and that we're not supposed to cure them. So right now, unfortunately, there are some people in the therapy world who wield a lot of power, who are trying to make it the standard that we have to treat transsexuals as ill, crazy people. And uh, this is very backward thinking, very damaging. Um, It's a very common thing for people to be transgendered, and there's many, many different forms of transgender. So it's really wonderful that, uh, for those who don't know, Eli Coleman is a name that uh, in the field we know very well, one of our big long-time leaders in the push to bring appropriate ethical, professional health care and mental health care to those who are struggling with a transgender condition. And usually the struggle is not with the condition. It's with society who doesn't understand the condition.
1: Thank you. And the other thing I was going to share with you is the – it's from – the uh, Stanford Daily, and what it's reporting, and this you and I both know, is American medical schools are lacking lesbian, gay, bi, and transgender-related health curriculum. And one of the biggest things that I know is the majority of people will go to one of three places if they have an issue. They will go to someone who is a medical um, practitioner, where Uh if they get... Majorly, if they get eight hours in their four years of med school, that's a lot. And then it's optional. They might go to someone who is a therapist. And you and I both know, Stephen, the majority of therapists get little to no training in the area of sexual health or sexual identity or or anything to do with sexuality. Unless they're told. Or sex addiction, that's what they'll get told. And the other place they go might be to someone of faith. And people may get really good faith-based education. But, again, they don't get this information, so people will often go to one of three places, and they can't get any help. That's right. Yeah. And, and that, for me, is just, that's tragic. And we, you and I, as educators in this area, one of our things is to bring people more up to speed so that they, A, can find it, or B, they can ask the questions where the people who they go to will feel more comfortable looking for the information for them. Now, we have 15 seconds until our break. My guest until our final break. My guest this evening is Stephen Braveman, a marriage uh, licensed family marriage therapist whose practice is in Monterey, California. And when we come back, we are going to speak about his book, CPR for Your Sex Life, How to Breathe Life into a Dead dying or dull sex life please stay with us
3: Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on Toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years Mark Lipinski is coming to TogiNet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. A live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 Central on TogiNet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan River Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle.
1: Welcome back, everyone. My guest this evening is Stephen Braveman, and you can get a hold of him at Stephen, spelled S-T-E-P-H-E-N, at Braveman, B-R-A-V-E-M-A-N, therapy.com. No spaces in there, so Stephen at Bravemantherapy.com, and his website is www.Bravemantherapy.com. And one of the things, um, Stephen, you—I'm sure you know—about um, Mark Schoen's film that he's doing, oh, I can't remember Chris's surname, Trans, the movie, uh-huh, which is they are just about done, and they are—it has made the first cut to Sundance Film Festival. Oh
0: wow, that is so wonderful.
1: Yeah, which this is something that you know, again, to me, one of the most important things is to normalize things that happen for people and to validate that these are the experiences they go through. Uh-huh. And in the area of sexuality, you and I both know, there are many times where people are like, nay, let's not talk about it. Which leads me to your book that you co-authored with Mildred Brown and the CPR for your sex life. Now, How did you come up, I know CPR, you know, cardiopulmonary resuscitation, but how did you come up with those three categories for sex lives? Yeah, well,
0: very interesting. First thing, um, I want to note that Mildred Brown is one of the uh, groundbreakers in the field of work with transgendered people, too. She wrote the groundbreaking book, True Selves Understand Transsexualism, which was the First book on the market available to general public on this issue. Still a very good book. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mildred and I, good friends, she asked me if I'd like to write a book with her. She had this idea. And the idea that we worked off of is that when people come into our offices with sexual difficulties, they quite often use the language that we hear in medical terms. Our sex life is dead. Or it's dying. Or it's <laughs> dull. Well, dull maybe is not what you hear in the medical field, but right. it's dying. And what we realized is that our job as sex therapists quite often was to do a quick assessment and then see if we could pump some life immediately very fast into this this sex life and then stabilize it and then prevent problems from happening in the future. Ah, CPR. So we ran on that theme. Our book is broken up into chapters, little teeny chapters that mm-hmm. all start with C's, P's, or R's. Mm-hmm. And you won't find kissing in there. You'll find pucker up instead. And yeah, it was a challenge to force everything to begin with a C, P, or an R. But it's, we, we were determined to make a book that was easy to read so that um, patients of ours or other readers who aren't our patients would have no excuse that they can definitely read it. By making it serious, it's a serious book, there's no doubt about that, but we made it cute with some cute pictures, easy to read, that people would do it. We thought, look, if it only took you three minutes to read a couple paragraphs and there you've you've read a whole chapter, you have no excuse. We... What we have done too is we've taken our years of experience as sex therapists, and we've combined it with all our mentors, everybody else we know, the wisdom of the field. We put it all into a book that has no um, uh, quotes, no subtitles, no um, references, just easy guide on how to work on it's really for a lot of people it's not really a sex manual it's more a romance guide so we have a chapter on cleanliness because we know a lot of people can't stand it if their partner comes home stinky with dirty fingernails and we also and that's have, a huge one yeah and we also take on things such as tantra and we talk about some problems that such as disabilities wide variety of things what have what we found is not only the people who who have a dead, dying, or dull sex life um, buy it and benefit from it. But we also found people who have a good time who are enjoying their sex life love it. A lot of times people are buying the book for wedding gifts, for uh, bridal showers. Um, A lot of military people buy it because one's going to ship out for a year, and they figure, well, at least through Skype they can read the book together and look at each other on the internet, and then therefore they'll have some semblance of keeping a sex life together. And teenagers tend to like it. College students like the book to buy, put it on their coffee table, so when friends come over and they're partying, getting drunk, <laughs> they have something fun there.
1: Well, but what I having gone through it, and you know. Um, having written five books myself, I was impressed with your creativity. For example, there isn't anything here that speaks of fantasy play, but in the R's, you have role play. Yes. And, you know, you don't have something of, you know, know, touch someone and do that, but you have the, you know, renew here. You've got rehearse. You've got relapse. You've got all of the things, royal treatment, ruts. You don't go boredom. You call them ruts. And, here's what this book is. I mean, when I looked at it, I said, this is almost like having the therapist's own little referral book that they go to for, this is what is going to be your best option, and there are only two pages. So Absolutely. there's, in complement, you've got, this is the thing that people do, and then it gives you point by point, consider this, and then you write in things, but it's only two little pages, so it isn't... Like this thing of where you have to sit down and go, oh. Um, And most people, you can hold their attention for two pages.
0: That's right. And we do have some chapters that won't be appropriate for everybody. So we have a chapter on pets that talks about how getting a pet, having a pet, can bring a couple closer together. But it also can ruin your sex life if you have the pet sleeping between the two of you. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And we also have some touching exercises in it. One that is my, one of my favorites is what we call charting. We compare it to Christopher Columbus charting the New World and we invite partners, even if they've been together for 20 years, to take turns and explore each other's bodies and really look at each other and look at each other naked, touch the different parts. Get to know each other. Bring the romance back into the relationship because typically what happens is people forget what they did at first, what got them to fall in love with each other, how they prioritize. That's one of our chapters, how they made it a priority even uh-huh. though they were busy they still found time to go to the gym and do all this and fall in love and get to know somebody, well, get to know your partner all over again. It can be really helpful. CPR for your sex life is filled with a bunch of cute little ways to do it and serious ways to do it.
1: I mean, I'm just actually, I'm, you know, have it here in my, you know, hot little hands. And the charting, I have to tell you, Stephen, I hadn't heard of that, I mean, call it that way. But the concept of it is outstanding because what happens, as we know, many long term partners, I've had them go, oh my God, we've been together for so long. I couldn't possibly, you know, I'd be like embarrassed to do that. But you know what? There's a novelty with doing something that, here's what I tell people look, you are different than you were 20 years ago, but let's have you look at it from the standpoint of you're a beginner. And beginners aren't expected to know. Beginners have the joy of, yippee, I get to learn.
0: Yes, and one thing for the therapists out there who might be listening, the book is really uh, a good book to have to take away shame for not doing homework. So if we send home a couple and say, okay, you're going to work on this book, and they come back, did you work on it? No. What I do is I just simply pick up the book and I say, okay, open it to chapter so-and-so and read a paragraph there. You did your homework. So we get rid of the shame and the blame and the guilt and things like that. And, uh, it can be really helpful. Not in the book are a couple tips that I would give people. Um, for example, we did not, we only touched on it lightly, um, but packaging and, 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 um, Things about clothing, one suggestion that I always give to people at Valentine's Day is if you're going to give chocolates, okay, but don't give it in a box. Take off all your clothes, put the chocolate all over your body, lie down in the bed first, put them all over your body, and call your partner over, hey, honey, guess what I got for you? Ladies, you want to give a guy a shirt, maybe a shirt and a tie, ties are a little out of date, but, you know, shirt and tie, don't give it to him in a box put it on, and then put your blouse on top of it. Invite him to unwrap you to find his gift.
1: Oh, no, that's great. I like that. I've never heard of putting the tie on first. Yeah. (laughs) It really is. No, also, another area of your specialty, Stephen, and because we have like probably two and a half minutes until, you know, the close of the show, I some of the insight into how you use the sacred sexuality and Tantra together with your clients. Yes,
0: that's something that's kind of rare because I do bridge the gap and I bring that into the work. What mm-hmm. I, the reason why I start doing it is I discovered so many people I work with who have been sexually abused, so many people who have gender issues, so many people who are gay, lesbian, really could use training in how to bring the sacred the special into their sex life, it would be so helpful. But unfortunately, way too many workshops and books and videos are taught in a heterosexual, cisgendered, meaning for straight people who only type way and doesn't deal with these special issues of abuse so i started doing that and so what i do is i do specialized workshops workshops where if you or your partner have been sexually abused okay you can come to this workshop it's geared towards you and and what it mostly is teaching is how to be safe how to make it safe and connected and loving So that people would actually want to have sex. And if you're transgendered, oh, geez, how do you deal with this, that you've got gentles that are changing as we speak and hormones flying through you. Um, And this just doesn't happen in other workshops. I also find that um, teaching sacred sexuality is a wonderful way for dealing with what is commonly called sex addiction. A lot of times in sex addiction, there's no such thing as addiction. There's no problem. It's just somebody is bored and they don't like what's going on in the relationship. Well, Tantra can spice it up and help them so that, you know, they're much more interested in their partner than they are in the porn or or prostitutes or something like that. Also, it can be very helpful for people with attention deficit disorder if they can learn how to use the energy forces in the body. and right. one-
1: and, and, and to get their physical self connected to the mental self. Now, we have 15 seconds until the close of our show so, Stephen Braveman, I thank you for being on the show. Anyone who wants to be in contact with him, he is Monterey, California. Stephen at BravemanTherapy.com, S-T-E-P-H-E-N at BravemanTherapy.com. Stephen, thank you so much for being with me this evening. Thank you, and thank you listeners out there. Oh, absolutely. And we will get the show up on your site for you, okay? Very good. Thanks so much, Stephen. Bye. Be good night. on the wall
2: and learn about one of the most important parts of our health our sexual health join Lou Paget